We are, uh, we are privileged this morning to jump into kind of a new conversation for the next few weeks. Uh, our world's obsessed with origin stories lately. Have you noticed that? We, we, we see kind of the superheroes and all the great things that they've accomplished, um, but, but these days, the, the newer question that has started to emerge is how'd they get to that point? How'd they get to the point of becoming Spider-Man or Iron Man or what did, what did the Hulk do before he turned green? You know, uh, since, so one of the, the fun things that, that Bethany and I have done since I finished my master's work in May is, uh, is we've been really, uh, we've not worked at night. <laughs> I've not worked at night. So we decided that we were going to watch all 23 of the Marvel Universe films in, in order, not of when they were created, but in timeline order. And so we just finished it last week and, uh, and it, was, it was a great time. But, uh, but I found it interesting how important the origin stories were when they came along. I wanted to know what formed that person and their motivations and how they became what they were. It just, it matters to me because when you understand how a story started, you understand everything on a deeper level. But it goes really beyond that when we begin to talk about our own story and, and understanding it. The, the story that starts you informs how you understand the nature of the world. The story that starts you helps you understand and, and forms your understanding of the nature of everything. Uh, if you grow up in a home where there isn't peace between your two parents, that affects how you view the world. Uh, if you don't have enough food when you're a child, it affects how you see reality. If, uh, if you're given everything that you want immediately, the moment you asked for it as a child, that affects how you see the world. If you were abused as a child, that affects how safe and secure you feel the world is. The stories that start us affect how we look at everything. Uh, we, we are made in many ways, not in every way, but we are made in many ways by the stories that start us. It's not the last word, but it is the first, and the first word matters. So when we talk about Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the beginning, uh, we are talking about how we understand the world and how our faith ancestors understood the world. And it matters because Genesis gives us an opportunity to understand the world in a certain way. It's the beginning of it all. The way that the Jewish people explained exactly how this all happened, right? But not necessarily the mechanics of it. Uh, that's where we seem to get distracted so much. When people think about Genesis, they often think about controversy right off the bat. Uh, I'm, I'm sure none of you have ever, you know, been aware of this conversation. The ongoing battle between literalism and literary content, uh, between young earth and old earth perspectives, between seven 24-hour days and a day that the psalmist, you know, waxes about that is like a thousand years. A day to God is like a thousand years to man. These, these things begin to happen, and, and if, if people dive into that debate, what often ends up happening is people begin searching the Bible and the world around them for clues to support their evidence, and the story, the meaning, the life, it gets lost. Because there is something that is intended to be a gift to us that we miss unless we get the story into our bones. Uh, Earlier this week, I heard, I heard someone uh, telling an amazing story um, 
uh, she was a storyteller, so she should have been good at it, but boy, was she ever. She talked about uh, a visit that she had made to see a friend at the Scripps Institute of Oceanic Research, okay? So the Scripps Institute is, is one of the most prolific kind of ocean research facilities in the world, and it's just north of San Diego, and it's a block from the ocean. It's right there on the water, and so so um, she got kind of an inside pass because she was meeting a friend, and she got a chance to tour it. And, and she, she toured this facility with all this incredible state-of-the-art equipment. And, uh, and um, by the way, it's, it's been said now that we understand and know less about the ocean and its vastness and its contents than we know about outer space. We actually know less about what's on our own Earth in our ocean than we know about kind of the rest of the universe right now, if you're going to compare the, the knowledge that we have. Wild, right? So, so in the midst of, of this vastness, we're ever discovering more of its immensity and its power and its beauty and its life. But as my friend toured this with one of her friends, she found that what she looked at and what she saw as she walked through the facility were scientists hovering over microscopes in windowless labs. And it was really disturbing. It was really disturbing to her. She, she understood the purpose, but at the same time, there are these scientists leaning over microscopes in windowless labs, and the water is a block away. And, 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 and she couldn't quite shake that feeling of that something's, something's off about all of this, this, this vast thing that they're studying, and they're hovered here in a windowless lab. And she mentioned it to her friend, <clears throat> not as a critique, but just she mentioned how close the lab was to the water. And her friend looked back at her and said, yeah, we, we all go swimming in it every morning. And learning that changed something. These scientists leaning over their microscopes in windowless labs had the smell of salt on their skin as they were looking at their microscopes. They, they could feel the movement of the water that they had been swimming in as they analyzed it under a looking glass. The difference is, is profound if we have the salt on our skin when we look through the microscope. And I'm afraid what happens sometimes as we approach the scriptures, as we approach maybe life in general, um, is, is that we, we don't have the salt on our skin while we study the details. We, we might deal with the reality of kind of sitting in a windowless lab to study a world that is so alive right beside us. So I'm going to be extra careful because I know my tendencies. <laughs> and the rest of you do too if you've been coming here for a little while. So I am going to be extra careful that we don't do that here. Uh, I don't want to fall into the trap of studying the ocean without swimming in it. Uh, I don't want us to be so concerned with getting this story figured out that we forget that the story is good. So good. Tov ma'od in Hebrew. Very, very good. The final statement of, of, of God, the creator, after making the world. It's meant to inspire us and instruct us all at the same time. So we're meant... As we engage with Genesis 1, we are meant to feel the earth. We're meant to taste fruit. We're meant to hear the birds. We're meant to cry with heartache. We're meant to find ourselves in the story and not just read it. And in the midst of it, we're intended to meet a God who even from the beginning of recorded faith was different, was set apart, 
from all the others that were spoken of at the time. So this morning we start by getting some salt on our skin, all right? Uh, because a world is about to be created with words. So I just want to invite you to sit and to take it all in. If it's helpful sometimes to just close your eyes and imagine, then, then great. <clears throat> if it's helpful to, to think and look around, uh, then do so as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Let us not miss that there is darkness and there is water at the beginning of our story. To ancient Hebrews, darkness and ocean water represented chaos. There is a mix of nothingness represented by dark and by chaotic waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. The story begins with God creating light that pierces darkness. And God saw the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. He differentiated the light. He made it clear that the light would be something totally different than dark. And God called that light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. And then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. In the midst of this story, all of a sudden, just like light separates the chaotic darkness, the land rises and separates the chaotic seas. God brings life. God brings form. God brings organization to chaos. God made this space to separate the waters from the earth from the waters of the heavens, God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. And then the waters continued to separate. Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so that dry ground might appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and the trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kind of plants and trees from which they came, and that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants, and the trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. Close your eyes and imagine the flowers budding on the trees, Imagine the sea, the, the wind blowing the seeds into new meadows where new trees sprouted up, creating their own seeds that got blown into new regions that sprouted up even more trees and plants. Verse 14, and then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. 
Let them mark, let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Imagine in God's mind the beauty of a warm season and a cold season and a wet season and a dry season. Imagine the creativity that comes from a moon that brings the tides up and recedes them, bringing life to everything that lives on the edges. Let the lights in the sky shine down on the earth, and that is what happened. Verse 16, God made two great lights, the larger to govern the day and the smaller to govern the night. He also made the stars. There is nothing that God's hand is not a part of that we see. In verse 17, God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening and morning came, marking the fourth day. And then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So life continues to burst forth out of the words of God. This time through fish, the great sea creatures and birds, every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. God is creating life with the ability to continue to create life. Then God blessed them. Bless them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. And then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And we imagine the sounds of the animals and the colors of the beauty and the diversity of the world taking place in God's imagination. We see them enjoying the fruits of the trees that had sprouted and engaging in the process of living, dying, eating, and recreating. And God saw that it was good. In verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. God says this one will be different. This one will be made in our image, in the Trinitarian image, where there is body, mind, and spirit all wrapped up in flesh. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and spoke words. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look. I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. 
I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. And we imagine with new eyes of faith the discovery of the humans looking and realizing all that the world holds for them to enjoy and care for. Then God looked over all he had made in verse 31, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested. And we imagine God exhaling with a smile, with the truest understanding of what goodness is. God at peace with a job well done. And God blessed that seventh day and declared it holy and unique and set apart because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Amen. It's a story that reads like a prayer, isn't it? Just soak it in for a moment. Don't analyze. Breathe with it. Hear the phrase, it was good, over and over and over. It's almost too much beauty to take in, isn't it? A God who creates good things just because God desires it. Earth, light, soil, trees, ocean, relationships, people, because it's what God wants, because it's what God knows and declares is good. God's words create worlds. Okay, friends? God's words create worlds, and we have to keep that in mind, because that's not how everyone saw it. I hope we have a little salt in our skin. So that we can go into the lab for just a little bit. Uh, if this is review for you, by the way, it's, uh, it's an important one, so stay with me. Uh, did you know that the Judeo-Christian story of origins is not the only one out there? Um, in fact, the, the brutal people of Babylon had their own story that was circulated at the same time that our story of Genesis was circulated. Uh, the people of Babylon used oppressive control and power over common people. This was the local cultural backdrop when, uh, when the story of Genesis, which is meant to be read aloud, by the way, with the markings that we have in Hebrew, meant to be read aloud like we just did when it began to circulate. So here's how the story goes. There was a power struggle between the gods, and they fought each other over and over and over again, and eventually there was a deity named Marduk, okay? And, uh, and Marduk is the one on the right. And, and, and the deity named Marduk eventually killed an older god, goddess named Tiamat, all right? And, and he, he killed her by throwing a sword or an arrow. It's very difficult for us to figure out some of the language exactly. And split her in two. She was an ant, which is extra rough um, in this story. They were family so one family member literally rips the other in two. 
And when Tiamat's body is ripped in half, and this is uh, brutal, but it, it is the story. When her body is ripped in half, half of her body falls and it becomes the earth. All right? And one half was fashioned into the sky and the heavens. As her body was ripped apart, it became the stars. A follow-up document in this Babylonian story was also incredibly full of bloodshed. Human beings, just like the natural world, were the product of gods killing each other. The dead god's blood became the life source for creating human servants who ultimately would do their bidding on earth. Humans were a part of a hierarchy of servitude that would order the entire universe. The document that holds this story is called the Enuma Elish. And here's one small statement that Marduk declares at the beginning of the story of how people came to be. Blood I will mass and cause bones to be. I will establish a savage. Man will be his name. Verily, savage man I will create. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that the gods might be at ease. And people were created. So just take that in for a moment because this is the story that some told when our Jewish ancestors told a different story. Bringing both of these bloody origin stories of, of Marduk um, helps us understand how Babylon warranted organizing the world as this oppressive hierarchy. And the moral of the story in their world, the words that they declare about the beginning create this world. The powerful win and the vulnerable lose, so deal with it. The social order went something like this. God's on top, and then the elite of Babylon, and then the poor of Babylon mixed in with the Jewish people at this time. A worldview of, of Babylon justified any tyrannical actions of the government or anyone in power. And under these conditions, the people of God had been telling their own story and they wrote it down and began to circulate it. In one story, wars make worlds. In one story, wars make worlds. Ruthless power is simply the way things work. Domination and violence are the realities that people live with. And there is no other way around it. But in another story, words create the world. Creativity, beauty, relationship, cooperation, partnership, life. These are what is intended and what is normal. These are the true origins and the true roots of all things that are. And that's why when violence enters the story in chapter 3, when one brother kills another, God is disturbed by it. It enters as a foreign substance to the story. The world is not founded on cosmic violence, so when violence happens between people, it's not normal. It's almost unexpected. And with the story that we get is God has to figure out how to deal with it. But we're not there yet, so we're just on Genesis 1 today. Because humans are created differently than what the Enuma Elish tries to proclaim Read these words from Genesis 1.27 that I read earlier. I love the simplicity of the common English in this one. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. There's a repeat of the word image over and over in this little story. And among other things, including the idea that humans had been given some of God's characteristics at their core. Of goodness and understanding beauty and creativity. In addition to that, the word image itself evokes the image of a king. 
So, so literally this word image is tselem. And so, so Jewish rabbis would say that, um, that you are created in tselem Elohim, the image of God. And, and the, the understanding of what that image was had a, in the local time had an, a, a, a link to a monarchy and a king. And so a king would go and conquer lands. Okay? And then what he would do is he would leave a tselem in its place. So once he would conquer lands, he would put up an image or a statue, sometimes a person, like a, like a kind of a puppet emperor or something like that. But most often there were statues. And what the statue was, was a representation of the king who had conquered this land and was now somewhere else. But you were to be reminded that all that you were and all that your land is is under the control of the king. And that your, your freedoms that you enjoy, if you enjoyed any freedoms during this time, during these, these things, they were because of the one who conquered you and maintains your security and fulfills all your needs for survival. When you see the statue of the king, you're reminded of what your actual king is like. And this is the phrase that's used for the image of God. People are living statues of the creator God. People are intended to be the thing that when others see, they get an, an, a glimpse and a reminder of what is real and true in the world and how the world was created to be. We are living statues. We are, we are, the, the, we are, we are God's salem that have been left in the world so that people might never be far from a glimpse of what the true and living God looks like. How are we doing with that? It's so very different than Babylon. We are given dignity, purpose, hope. Words create worlds. The words of God in the word of God creates a world where we dwell as ambassadors of God's creative and good character. Where we, by our very existence, are a reminder and a sign to the world around us that dominant power is not the end of the story, that people are created good, and that God's society is about care and cooperation. The insignificant ones in the story are endowed with significance. Do you see how all of the created beings, all of the animals, they are recognized and declared as good? There is no such thing as insignificance. There are no insignificant ones in our story. Everything is sacred. All are honored. All are purposeful. But it proves harder to live out, right? Uh, than, than maybe just while we're sitting here. When you leave today, it proves harder to be the tselem of God as you walk out into the world. It proves very, very, very difficult to be a glimpse to everybody around you of what humanity ought to be. So people struggle with this, to stand strong as living statues of the loving creator. And so something, is, something more is needed in the story. And so we fast forward to much later in our scriptures to the book of John. And in the book of John, John writes a second creation story. And this is so beautiful and so important to notice. And he begins his story by, what else? In the beginning. So John says, in the beginning, the only time that this phrase is used in the Bible outside of Genesis 1.1, John is intending to start an entirely new creation story. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing 
in him was life. And then we, heard, then we hear about light. Then we hear about light in darkness. Just like the first thing that the, that the creator God does is create light and speak light into a, a mass of darkness. In him was life and, the light, and that life was the light of all mankind. Not just lighting the way for mankind, but literally the light of mankind. The glimpse of what humanity was intended to be like when lived in complete imagery of the creator. Isn't that awesome? And then we hear that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light dissipates the darkness. It's beautiful. In the beginning. And then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. This this idea that God comes, that God jumps off of a page, off of a story, and into color and matter and flesh and blood. This word of God, he comes and he creates a world. Because that's what words do, right? Words create worlds. So the word of God spoken at the beginning of time creates a world. And then the living word of God, he uses his own words and he creates a new world. Or he recreates the world. See, the word of God uses his life and his words, and something new is created, which is eerily reminiscent of the old thing that was created, which makes us in some way think, I wonder if the words are from the same author. Because we see it. We see these word-making, these world-making words spoken, and they kind of feel the same. And so this, this author speaks to people, and he speaks to people in a different foundational way of seeing things that they've grown accustomed to. He even tweaks, he even tweaks their, their own religion. You've heard that it was said, Jesus says, but I tell you. And this living word, he calls insignificant things in our world good. Blessed are the meek, Jesus declares. Blessed are the peacemakers, the mourners. Blessed are the poor, and, and, and not always in just the way that we dissect it. They're not blessed because, simply because they don't have the trappings of greed or wealth or, or because they're so desperate. No, they're blessed because the word declares them blessed. They're blessed because Jesus blesses them and God proclaims that they are special in his care. They have suffered, but Jesus is creating a new world with his words. And it's a new world that we are intended to live in. The world where we too see the poor as special in God's sight, where we see the gentle and the humble and the peacemakers as the ones who have the real keys to truth and, the and, and even have the keys to what true power looks like. We hear the words of Jesus speaking to us to forgive, to offer grace, and to live in generosity with our time, our love, and our energy. Jesus is world-making with his words. And, and so simply the question that arises is, is he making our world, yours and mine, or not? Uh, the, the challenge is that we often are people of Babylon. We, we believe the wrong origin story. We let the words of power and violence and wealth and comfort and self create our worlds. We follow a story that, that forgets where it came from. And so we walk around thinking that we must have to look out for ourselves primarily. Because it's simply the way things are. So, so the question uh, 
the simple question before us is, um, whose words are creating your world? We wonder. Which words form how you think about things? Uh, is it the word of God and the living word of the living God? Or is it another's words maybe? Perhaps a family member that you can never live up to? Perhaps it's the words of a boss that tells you that unless you give your whole life to the company, you'll never make it. Perhaps it's the words of a government that's constantly telling us to put our hope in it for ultimate redemption, whichever side is speaking. Perhaps it's the words of accumulation and consumption, creating a world before us where we never have enough and we always need more, 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 more. Or maybe it's the words of your inner voice telling you that you are never good enough. It creates a world around you. Even as a Jesus follower, you can never truly rest in grace and love that you will always be striving but letting down your heavenly father. And those words of your inner voice create a world. Or maybe it's still the words of your inner voice but telling you that, you know, by kind of doing the, the Jesus or the church thing, you know, every now and then is actually very noble of you. Uh, and, and you should sit back and enjoy yourself while the story of Jesus is actually creating a world that invites you to give your life away so that you can actually hold on to it for the first time ever. Find it for real. So I want, I want you to just take some time to identify in your own life the, the words that compete in front of you. Because all of the words that compete in front of us, they're all creating worlds. And so we have to choose which ones will create ours. Um, I, I want you just to swim in the ocean of God's goodness and creativity this morning. I want you to get wet and salty in the story. And maybe after that, we look into the microscope with the smell of salt on our skin and we learn even more. But, uh, but this is the story that forms us of a God creating beauty from chaos, breathing purpose into nothingness, and who invites us to remind the world of that God who lives and gives light to darkness and breathes life into dirt and brings color into existence. Um, so, so as ambassadors, as icons, as Selem of the king, um, I, I want us to be reminded maybe in, in the final movement uh, that we also have the power to create wor worlds with our words. You and I have the power to create worlds with our words. Uh, Proverbs 12.18 uh, reminds us of the simple truth that the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Think about the worlds that can be created with the words that we use. Think about the, word, the worlds that can be created with the realities that we live by. Yesterday, as you all saw with all of the leftovers, that's leftovers. Think about a feast. Think about a Thanksgiving feast and then you have leftovers afterwards. That's what all of that is out there. That's the, that's the whatever, the bread baskets that are left behind when Jesus blesses something. What we did yesterday is we gave away to over 80 to 100 people, we gave away all of the clothing that they needed or wanted. And we still had that much left over. But here's what happened. 
No money changed hands. We said, come, bring whatever you want, drop it off, take whatever you need. We know multiple families who were dealing with, um, with homelessness at the time came and joined us yesterday. We heard multiple stories of, of moms who are doing it on their own and weren't sure how to afford the next layer of clothes for their three kids that are getting older and older. But here's the thing. We create worlds with our words, and we say that there is enough, and we create a world where there is enough by living it out, by living out the words of Jesus, of care and compassion. We get to create worlds because the Spirit of God and the breath of God is in us. And so as long as we align ourselves with Jesus, the words that we speak in the world create new realities for people. We re-inspire the imagination of people where they look around and say, yes, another world is possible. A world where we can care for each other and meet each other's needs. A world where, where we don't get obsessed with ourselves. A world where we can actually practice self-control. A world where we can be obedient and even at peace when things don't work how we want them to work. There's such beauty and freedom in that. Um, so let us use that power with careful judgment and a purity of heart so that we never create worlds that are different than the one that was created for us by the original word speaker. Uh, let's pray. God, will you teach us to let your words form our worlds? Will you immerse us in your story so that we might not lose our way and fall into temptation? Will you give us a, a vision of life that's so compelling uh, that all the other narratives lose their luster and fade before your story? Will you give us that kind of vision for the world? Um, will you invite us to swim in the deep places with you, being, being moved by the falling and rising tide of, uh, of your life breath? Shape us and send us, Jesus. Amen.